Straight from Cringe Dutch Studios comes the new official podcast for bored ass teenagers. Takashi King presents Cringe Cast. We're glad you decided to join us. So relax and get ready for chaos. Get ready for Cringe Cast. Hey, what's up guys? And today I'm going to kickstart something that I'm probably going to be doing a lot. Anytime I see a cool movie or um, a cool piece of content that I really enjoyed and thought was um, really well put together and really interesting, um, I'm going to do a piece on it. Uh, and uh, they're going to be about 30 minutes long. I'm going to go two pieces into this podcast. I'm going to do first a review on Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler, and then a review of Sing 2, the animated film uh, with various celebrities. But I'm just going to deep dive into Uncut Gems for 30 minutes, explain to you why this movie was great, and why me, someone who's not a movie critic and doesn't know a lot about film, really enjoyed this movie um, and thought it was... I don't know, just really interesting piece of art. So uh, let's get into it. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read a short uh, first paragraph of an article uh, from the New Yorker. Um, it's uh, I'm probably going to be paraphrasing from this article a lot uh, because it's hard for me to put into words, but I will uh, elaborate more into things that I read um, here. Until now, I thought the best metaphor for filmmaking that I'd ever seen in a movie was found in Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, throwing bags of money out of a speeding train, but Josh and Benny Safdie's new film, Uncut Gems, offers a better, if not more, elaborate one when its protagonist, Howard Ratner, who played by Adam Sandler, a Diamond District jewelry dealer who's also a compulsive gambler, places a bet on a basketball game, Howard isn't merely risking money on the outcome. He's crafting a story that, for the bet to pay off, has to come out right. Who wins the opening tip-off? How many points a particular player will score? Whether or not the winning team covers the spread. Howard's story has to correspond to reality, or rather vice versa. With his grand, grandoise vision of winning, he's the ultimate fantas, fantasist. He's the ultimate fantasist, and in his mortal dependence on what actually happens, the ultimate realist, he's a lot like a director behind a camera. Now, I don't know exactly what all that means, but I will kind of give you, like, um, kind of my interpretation uh, from what I saw. Um, this movie was extremely uh, art-provoked. It's, uh, it's very different. Um, now, if you've watched a lot of movies, you know that uh, movies um, kind of follow the same uh, narrative. They're a lot, they're the same. Uh, they don't change or variate a lot. But I will tell you, this movie did. Um, not only is it uh, a independent movie, uh, but it's it's done perfectly. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a blockbuster theater movie that you'd want to see in the theaters. 
but it's done with the uncensored um, freedom that an independent movie has with a pretty big budget, considering it has Adam Sandler and a couple really notable actors in this movie. The directors, the Safdie brothers, um, are two brothers. I don't know if they're twin brothers. I don't know if they're just brothers, um, but they're really talented um, brothers who direct films. Um, they've directed a couple uh, very well-crafted and artful films like this, which have a really interesting story and uh, really interesting plots and twists. So uh, they're very, very, uh, um, they're artsy directors that really put a lot of thought into what they create. So uh, yeah, if you don't, if you want to more know more about the Safdie brothers, uh, just give them a Google and look into them. They're pretty cool. They've made a lot of really interesting things. But yeah, uh, it says Howard has a compulsive gambling disorder or compulsive gambling addiction, I guess you could say. And he does. Um, he's like, the way they portray it in the film is very well done. Um, it's uh, it's really close to reality. Um, you know, I've been close to compulsive gamblers, and uh, this is very, very uh, similar to how it was portrayed in the film. In the film, Howard is a really likable character the entire time. I mean, Adam Sandler is immediately a likable guy. However, his vices um, are really well done by Adam, and uh, they're really uh, they really affect you in a way that's real. And when you see family around him disappointed, or even his wife, where their relationship is basically they're basically split. Uh, we'll get into that later, but. Um, you can see affecting others, and it's done really well and really hits you hard. It's a very emotional movie on top of being a very shocking and just um, stress-provoking movie. That's another thing about this movie. It's well known for causing really, really bad stress because um, this movie, along with its soundtrack, carries you into something that's uh, very... It's... I don't know. It's not confusing. You can, you can, you can always... You can cling to the story but you find yourself very close to the screen, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, you find yourself overly invested in, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen next, when nothing might happen next, but you felt, uh, or the music felt, or the actors made you feel, um, you know, it's a very good film portrayal of real life um, when someone has a lot of vices and are just surrounded by the wrong people, you know, so really well done on that part. Um, but yeah, they do say he's ultimate fantasist. I don't know what that means, but I can th I do think that this means uh, he has a positive outlook on um, you know negative things uh, like gambling or th he has a very positive outlook that he kind of tries to um, put on other people. Uh, you have people come in um, into his life or around him and he showers them with positivity of things that, you know, he's lost at a lot. You know, he's uh, um, on the verge of kind of losing everything. Uh, he really has nobody because um, he's kind of pushed everyone away with his vices. But it makes you feel very sorry for him when he's trying to, um, you know, tell these people, no, I'm, uh, it's it's going to work out. It's going to be great, except he does it. Um, it's, it's very desperate, but... It's really well done, like everything in this movie. I'm going to say this a lot. It's very, very well done. The acting and the storytelling, really impressive movie. So now I'm going to go into the next paragraph of this article. 
And oh, this talks about the soundtrack of Uncut Gems, which um, I do want us to talk about this because it has to do with probably 90% of the hectic um, things that happen in this movie. The soundtrack of Uncut Gems is jittery with the hectic electronica of Daniel Lapotin, aka One One Tricks Point Never. Okay, I'm not even trying. Okay, that. Let's just call him Daniel. Daniel made this movie music. But the mind-bending score could have been replaced by overlays of multiple out-of-cinch um, ticking clocks to mark the overwhelming intensity of the drama's chron- chronological pressure. Um, now, uh, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It could have been replaced with a bunch of ticking clocks slowly getting faster, and it would have done the same thing. Um, that's how the music felt. It really built up. Sometimes it built to nothing. Sometimes it over it like it played with your emotions. I'll just say that. Let me continue. The Safdie's brothers movie is desperately timed. The 48 year old Howard measures out his days and nights, not in coffee spoons, but in the arc of a three pointer, the slam of a car door, the paired buzzes of his showroom's double safe, electronically controlled bullet cl- bulletproof glass barriers. Howard's very survival is a matter of precise timing of his urgent and off-balance storytelling. Yes, I would say this movie is all about timing. Um, Everything that happens in the movie is very um, scheduled, and it's like everything's due, you know? It's one of those movies that um, this needs to be done by Wednesday. He has a lot of other things that need to be done by that time, and they just, they happen all in that short amount of time. And it really builds up to whether or not he's going to hit that time or, you know, uh, lose everything. And it, it creates a really stressful experience because this is a movie all about timing. I would say that. Very well said by this article. Um, and yes, the, the, the main points of his day are marked by sounds, very stressful and work-related sounds based in his everyday life. So it's a, another really stress-provoking thing in this movie. Um, the movie's editing, done by Benny Benny Safdie and Ronald Bronstein. I've heard Ronald Bronstein's name somewhere. I don't know. Um, he co-wrote the script with the brothers. Um, Ronald Bronstein did, and evokes the visual clamor of its clashing urgencies. Howard tries to sidestep his creditors and their violent enforcers with instantaneous, instantaneously improvised lies that have to be timed with the comedian's precision to elude their grasp um what he's saying here is that um he is he has a lot of people to answer to um this is not a guy who works for himself yes he owns his own company but um a jewelry the, the jeweler store is his but he's not exactly in control. There is a lot of people that um, are always, you know, he does not have the control in any of these situations, which makes it so much more stressful because you do have a lot of creditors that are very, um, you know, they have honorages and guns and very violent, which another thing in this movie that I really enjoyed, um, the violence in this movie had little to do with guns, except for the end, which I will get into um, later, uh, but that is one thing. The, the and not any of the violence in this movie is done uh, with very realistic physical harm, like punches, kicks, and uh, things like that. Just kind of street fights. It's very uh, 
very realistic fighting that really hits a lot harder um, the way it's done. It's it's a lot more effective than a, a gun. But when a gun is pulled out in this movie, it is extremely effective. We'll get into that. Um, ah, let's see. Let's go back into it. He plans to pay one with money owed to another and winnings that haven't yet come in. And if and if his borrowings and his scams, his debts, and his dodges don't fit together in exactly the right sequence, the entire house of cards that his life is upon will come tumbling down. Yeah, so yes, everything that he um, does uh, in this, I'd say, chaos of a movie, um, it's, uh, it's, he has a very positive outlook, like I said, but it's not. You know, he's um, very irresponsible. You know, he's he's owing money at the same time to several different people. He's owing things and, and, and services. But he uses that to try to, to, to win in his gambling addiction. And at the end of the day, uh, that's just not just a smart way to go about anything. And, you know, he definitely, um, I don't know, he goes at it. Uh, just very wrong, and it's bound to get him hurt sometime, which we'll get into. Um, it's a movie of a cruel physicality, of the clash of textures, of the hard and the soft, the vicious and the solid, and even the ethereal. A tale of blood and fluid that starts in Ethiopia in 2010, where a miner is carried from his worksite with a horrible horrifically bloody wound and continues to a video screen in New York in 2012 where Howard is having a colonoscopy. This is the first kind of out, outlooks the first scene of the movie, which is kind of, it's funny, but it's, um, it's kind of, it's not really, I don't even think it was supposed to be. I think it was just, um, I don't know. Uh, they're in a mine. They dig out this opal, um, very big gem. Which the movie is about a gem. Um, it's one thing not a lot of people know, but it is about a gem. But it's, you know, it's a lot more than that. Um, the miners, they have this, um, while everybody's distracted with the wounded thing, they uh, pull out this opal and um, apparently put it up for sale. Um, Howard is having colonoscopy and it kind of zooms out of there. And then I think he uh, goes on with his life. Let's continue. It's the it's only the first of the movie's bloody byways, only the earliest of the movie's visions of bodily mortification. Howard is, from the time he's in motion, in danger, confronting in his showroom a pair of tufts sent by a lone shark named Arno, um, to whom he owes a hundred thousand dollars. The numbers may be an abstraction, but the goods, gemstones, and fancy watches, whether hot or legit, and cash are physical, as are the threats by which they are extracted from debtor to creditor. Um, so yes, when he walks um, from the colonoscopy, um, he's off to work. He enters his jewelry store, and there's already um, the creditors there, um, kind of checking up to see if uh, you know he has their money. Um, it kind of gets a, it gets a little bit physical, um, just a little bit, uh, and it and it does this in front of customers. You know, you have just regular like people in here that are kind of his homies. He knows all these people and they're nice to him, but you know he's very quickly like just slapped up by this one guy 
in front of all of them and kind of tries to play it off. And it looks very pathetic and it makes you feel really bad. So yeah, it was a really tough scene, um, but it was very short. So, um, you know, it's just very interesting. Um, all right. From the start, Howard wearing an ups- a stench. Why do they have to use these fucking long words in these articles? It's kind of it's kind of bullshit. I'm kind of kind of tired of it. No one knows that fucking word. Okay, a two-tone shirt with a tag still dangling out of its collar. Ever so slightly, two decorative glasses, an overly trimmed goatee, and a watch that could build biceps. Strikes strides through the diamond district talking at top speed into his cell phone he's plotting the score of a lifetime importing or rather smuggling a rare uncut large black opal from ethiopia ethiopia which he's expecting to sell through an upscale auction house for a million dollars so yes um so he he buys this um the the black opal and he is planning to auction it off for one million dollars now remember everything kind of rides on this gem because he is in debt and he got this gem for definitely um uh definitely a bargain so he's gonna make a lot of money on this but you know it kind of all rides on this gem (sighs) but when the opal finally reaches his showroom other business gets in the way howard's employee damani who's who has liaison and to athletes um, who's his liaison to athletes and hip-hop artists, brings the pro basketball star Kevin Garnett, playing himself, to the showroom. There, Garnett sees the opal, feels its power, which Howard has been hyping, and decides that he must have it to aid him in his game. Um, Garnett was playing in 2012 for the Boston Celtics, and the action is set during that year's playoffs. Howard is loath is loathe to part with the opal but he senses that the transaction gives him a betting advantage. Uh, so he doesn't want to give the opal to Kevin. However, he is betting on this game because remember he is a compulsive gambler. So he gives him opal um, and he uh, uh, bets on the game, hoping that the opal will improve Kevin's game because Kevin seemed to have a pretty powerful connection with the opal. Meanwhile, another clock is ticking. Howard's marriage to Dinah, pronounced Dina, Adina Manzel, is played by Adina Dina Manzel. It's kind of funny that the name is Dina and her name is Adina Manzel. Just got that, thought that was funny. Um, his marriage is over. It's a zombie-like afterlife. The family, including their teenage daughter, a near-adolescent son, and a young boy, live in, lives in a house in the suburbs, but Howard is there only symbolically. Diana is ending the marriage, but the couple have agreed to stay together through Passover to maintain a temporary illusion of family unity. Howard comes home after work to see his children and then, on pretext of more work, leaves for an apartment in Midtown where he lives with Julia, played by Julia Fox, a young woman who works for him in the showroom. Julia is a salesperson who trawls the nightlife for potential customers. She may or may not also be cheating on Howard, but in any case, she parties hard and allays Howard's constant suspicions with sexual enticements. So, um, you know, he kind of has this thing going with Julia, and you can tell he actually really cares for her, even though you can tell immediately that the relationship is pretty toxic. kind of starts with yelling the first scene they're seen together. Um, 
but you can tell they actually have a connection like they actually kind of love each other so yeah it's kind of a weird subplot um you know it doesn't i mean it it's very confusing but i really liked it and it really followed the entire movie so they did a good job on this um but uh yeah that's basically yeah he is jewish in this movie um which is kind of cool i think it's i mean all the jewish things that they do is really done really well even though i'm not jewish i don't know anything about but they they do they do handle all that stuff it's i mean well-crafted movie i'm just gonna say that um the Safdie brothers have long specialized in drama kings and queens and protagonists who knock their lives out of joy and into action with breathless, reckless, perpetual cycles of frenzied, self-imposed challenges and daily dangers. Howard is the first whose drama seems essentially creative. He is, in effect, playing a dangerous series of shell games for high stakes in order to lend his life high dramatic moment and his elaborate invention of lies to shimmy out of his creditor's menacing clutches comes off as a performance in which he himself delights. His gem and jewelry business is already stressful and risky enough, but it's his gambling, but it's his gambling and the intricate flow of, of chart of debts and cadges that fills his life with stories and turns out every moment into a life or death crisis. Um, yes, every moment in this movie feels like life or death even though it's not serious at all anything most of these scenes aren't serious until like there is a lot of serious movie points in this movie but even the simple stuff like eating make is very stressful and it kind of it kind of is like the soundtrack going on inside of his head it's it's very interesting um but yeah ever it's you can tell that the adrenaline and all that stuff actually gets um, Adam, like, or not Adam, Howard off. It kind of, that's kind of what he craves. So um, in a way, um, it's kind of what he wants at the end of the day is, you know, <sighs> let's continue. The highs of success, rare as they may be, aren't the sole point. And the money itself isn't the key payoff, it's the creation experience of a dramatic life, the daily tension and the thrills and dangers, the off-balance improvisational theater into which he has converted his humdrum suburban existence. To which nonetheless, for sentimental reasons, he clings fiercely and desperately. Even the punishment, the fear, and the humiliation seem to be a part of the terrible pleasure. So yeah, that just kind of re-highlights my point about how he kind of likes it. Um, uncut gems, jitters and skitters, lurches and hurdles with Howard's desperate energy. Sandler's frantic and fidgety performance provides the movie with its emotional backbone. And he's not alone. Menzel's swing between the steadfast and the der derisive. Derisive? I don't know. Bogosian's terrifying calm, St Stanfield's good humored ac acuity, and Garnet's el elevated poise. Fox serves survivability survivalist veracity frosty and the vivid contributions of a wide range of other performers including such notable as jet hirsch in the voice over roles um tilda swinton and tasha leone plus real life celebrities the weekend playing himself and mike francisca playing a bookie along with a host of newcomers such as keith william richards and tommy kominsick kominick as enforcers and roman persits as a jeweler swirl and clash and rumble in this symphonic tangle of overlapping and intertwining high volume voices so everybody has a very realistic um but very dramatic um personality and attitude in this movie um yeah it really overlaps and is really 
it's it's good. The Safdie brothers have always been artists of chaos, whose daring methods of filming, including working on location without permanence and blending in blending their scripted action with whatever comes up in the street, have been reflected in their films' frenetic action and reckless characters. But in Uncut Gems, their system and their cinema, the story of the production and the story that they tell converge all the more violently and in risky new ways. This is by far the Safdie's biggest budget movie to date. The figure hasn't yet been disclosed, but the movie was co-executive produced by Martin Scorsese and as Khalifa Sanaa reports in his profile of the Safties in The New Yorker, it's the first time with the filmmakers that they had to deal with trucks and trailers on location and they had to tailor their practices to fit. After making movie on ultra low budgets for more than a decade and with an only slightly elevated one for Good Time, which stars Robert Pattinson and Jennifer Jason Leigh, it's clear that they know what to do with the money. It's in a very literal sense, the money is on the screen, and for that matter, the money suffices the action and provides the, money, the movie with its very tone. First, the money brings the movie to a sense of scale, with crowd scenes and complicated street scenes, a wide scope of action. Second, it buys a cinematic entry into a milieu of money and... Okay, you know, this, I don't know, this is kind of just mumbo-jumbo. Um, just kind of, uh, just critic bullshit that they kind of put together uh, but yeah let's just skip like alright um, I can just finish this movie out myself this is a very uh, very overwritten article but um, I will say so uh, the chaos it kind of goes from his everyday life it starts to kind of fall apart of course um, he is constantly shooken down by um, these creditors, but you know he always has that desperate positivity and energy that um, really makes you feel bad, but really keeps him going um, for whatever sick reason. But you know it kind of starts to spiral out of control. Um, you know he, there is a small scene where he kind of. Uh, ha has a small reconnect with his wife however that is interrupted by family and it's kind of never you know spoke about again kind of signifying the end of their relationship and it can't be rekindled um, and then he catches uh, Laura or whatever her name is Julia um, cheating on him uh, with the weekend playing himself and uh, asks her to leave his apartment um, but later in the movie, that is, again, rekindled, but in a very, like, it's, I don't know, it's very toxic, but, you know, it's, I don't know, you kind of feel for both the characters, and they're very both, they're both very desperate and lonely and, um, you know, unhealthy characters, so it's, uh, it's odd. But we kind of start to go into this final act of this movie. So I'm skipping tons of things, but what happens is he got he gets all this money um from from kevin um that he's supposed to be paying the creditors because the creditors want their money he's they're owed a hundred thousand and he hasn't given any of that um but he has that money from kevin that he kevin gives him in exchange for the opal just for the night um they're gonna of course split the money that he bets using that 
and he's gonna get the opal back and hopefully probably sell it again to Kevin. Um, him and Kevin talk about that because Kevin really wants the opal and it really helps him win and it steps up his game. So this movie actually coincides with real events and it talks about a real playoff with Kevin Garnett. So really interesting that they added that um, kind of thing. But you know, this game was a pretty famous game. And if you know about it, you know about it. I didn't really know anything about it, but it was like a set legs playoff in, in playoffs in 2012 or whatever. But yeah, so that was happening. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, Kevin, uh, takes the opal. It's the night, um, the creditors come in and, uh, they come in probably, I'm um, going to ask Adam about his money. Um, uh, try to get their money cause they kind of, they kind of knew Kevin had the money. So they were coming to get it cause they found out cause they saw him carrying the money. So they came one of them was armed, kind of the main guy, very calm, but very like violent and very scary guy. Comes in and to get into the jewelry store, you have to buzz in. You get locked in this ball, bulletproof glass box um, until you're buzzed in and then you can enter and it's completely locked. So instead of Adam sees that they coming in to kind of shake him down again and take the money, um, or at least ask him he doesn't have the money because it's already been bet um or at least uh no, not really what he asks so actually before this happens uh these guys come into his jewelry store earlier and he actually has to um give the money to julia and julia has to get to las vegas um uh, or at least somewhere to bet this money some casino um she goes there um she places all the bets that he wrote on the back of a sticky note and she can tell that these creditors are also following her so she hides with this like um creepy old guy rich guy in his in his apartment um and he keeps him safe so uh yeah he ends up actually being uh pretty useful she stays at his place um then adam of course they're locked in the box he's watching the game because that's all he has to left to do he's either gonna win or he's gonna lose it all um, so they bet all the money from the jewel on this. So probably over $600,000, both Kevin and Adam's last pennies, um, or not Kevin's, but most of everything Adam had, and they put it into this game. He sits down, he watches the game. The game it has its up and downs, but he wins on every point that he bet on. He wins the game. They win the game, he wins his bet, he won three million dollars in that bet um she julia is cashing out at the casino um uh, it's the first thing he does he calls her um tell it like they're like oh my god we won it's an incredible moment it really makes me feel great that if he finally won um and uh so yeah he wins gets his money or she has the money in las vegas he's still in the room this is like having in a few seconds still in the room and now he goes to unlock the door for the creditors to get out because now that he's probably gonna have money to pay everybody um yeah so just kind of you know it's we think all our problems are over he opens the door in about a span of two seconds the guy pulls out a gun and kills howard just shoots him right in the head a very uh, violent and sudden and chaotic scene 
and there's also uh, Adam's uncle in there who is also killed by him by the creditor so that happens very quick very surprising it literally blew my mind when I saw it. I was not expecting it and it was really well done and uh, it almost made you feel I don't know it almost made you feel relaxed because as soon as he was shot um, the music kind of um, kind of I don't know kind of went flat where it's it's less stressful and it almost gave you like the character was in a sense of peace about this so very interesting way that it was done and oh my gosh it shocked me but then we're wearing the, the end of the movie here um last scene we see is julie getting in a car with all the money and driving off in the back of a limo um so and then we cut back to howard and it goes into his highs and kind of goes in it his eyes are like it looks like the back of an opal so it kind of goes back through the opal thing kind of how the movie started i forgot to mention that but yeah it goes through that and then the movie ends very sudden very cliffhanger we don't really know what happens just uh felt like a very um a real taste of uh very complicated and chaotic life so um very very intense well-crafted movie directed by the Saudi brothers and uh acted as howard um, was adam sandler so if you want to see this movie for yourself which my review doesn't do it any justice but i think you should really see this movie for yourself because you won't understand until you actually see this movie what it's all about so yes i do suggest you go watch it um go enjoy it um and yes yeah, support Sa safety brothers support all the people who made this movie um yeah it was an amazing movie very stressful very incredible and very different and now we're going to be talking about the animated film sing 2 came out a little bit a while ago but it's now probably my top three animated films of all time um and at number one i'm always going to have megamind up there at my top one it's just um it's super nostalgic it's always been my go-to um just thing i just love it so much so megamind's always going to be my number one unless something really crazy comes in but probably nothing will beat megamind because of this nostalgia that it brings me but sing too uh, i do got to give it to this movie we don't do movie reviews a lot just anytime i see something really interesting or really cool so anytime that i do a movie review um just know that it's a movie that i really enjoyed and thought was um i don't know it was, i just thought it was um incredible and I, I don't watch too many movies um but when i do watch a movie i uh um i really pay attention and i um you know i care a lot about the production value of things so you know this really blew it out of the water for me uh, with story and with animation so definitely going to go into that um first i'm going to go through the plot um and uh you know i'll kind of mark out really cool points um in this plot uh, i'm reading this off of commonsensemedia.org uh they kind of um they have really good just quick um reviews on movies uh it kind of gives you the stars and just everything reviews on by just regular people that people left on the movie um i think the general movie uh as like a whole um it's it's rated four stars by parents and by kids 
Now I would rate this five stars. I loved it. I didn't really see any issues with it except a few characters that didn't return, but we'll get into that. Um, oh, and I really enjoyed that all the old cast for the characters that did show up were still there. So we still had that originality. So um, yeah, that was really cool. Let's start with the article explaining the plot. In Sing 2, talent scout dog Suki Lane, um, which comes to, the, comes to the theater to watch um, a performance of um, Alice in Wonderland at Buster Moon's Theater. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. They, that's how they start the movie. And um, he tells, after watching uh, the performance, she walks out and tells theater director Koala Buster Moon, voiced by Matthew McConaughey, that his production isn't exciting enough to merit a spot at the internationally renowned Crystal Theater in Vegas-like entertainment capital Red Shore City. Um, Buster disregards her criticism and takes his ensemble piano-playing balladeer Gorilla Johnny, played by Taron Egerton, who um, I'm a really huge fan of. He played Elton John in the Rocketman movie and um, has an amazing voice and is a I just I really all around great on production and then he brings teen pop singing elephant mina mina um voiced by tori kelly and pig pals gunter nick kroll and rosita voiced by reese witherspoon on a road trip to audition for the intimidating mr crystal voiced by bobby cannaval a prominent producer wolf a misunderstanding makes crystal believe that buster has secured the involvement of clay calloway voiced by Bono from U2, one of the world's biggest pop stars to come out of retirement for his musical extravaganza. So he agrees to hire Buster and his crew, Buster and Liz Porcupine, Porcupine rocker Ash, voiced by Scarlett Johansson, to help him track down Clay and convince him to be a part of the new show. Meanwhile, the original cast deals with learning new skills for Buster's ambitious dream project. Now, uh, that's just kind of a basic plot for the movie. Um, I'm not a young kid, um, so I, I usually don't enjoy uh, any kid shows. It's, you know, if I do like, you know, Cartoon Network stuff is a different story. Love that. But, um, you know, kid movies, especially animation, like that kind of animation, like Sing 2, is not always my favorite thing. But this movie was so well polished and animated. I just want to say that first comment. This movie was done well the animation took a lot of time you could tell this definitely uh wasn't just one of those things that um was slapped together in the computer room uh this took a long time because it's probably the best animation i've ever seen in a movie like this that's animated in this way and that's like just coming from me i think it's probably the best animation i've seen um on that scale so Really incredible animation. I really got to give it to them. Um, they they worked really well with shadows and um, like just the reflections. It's incredible. I mean, they put so much attention to detail. I've I you know it's insane what technology and people can do. But uh, yeah, it was a really good looking animation. Very very um, very easy on the eyes. Very uh, very like one of those listens or not listens. Um, sorry, my brain's in podcast mode, but I think one of the easy watches, like, cause the colors and stuff are so vibrant and interesting that it's, you can't help but, um, really pay attention 
and enjoy the movie and feel the vibe because all the colors they use because they are in uh i think it's a fictional city i don't think redshore city is a real city but it's like a las vegas like um type city um so you know it's really colorful a lot of light um and it you know it, this movie ha does a really good job um with lighting and all that stuff it's very very cool all the colors they bring into it and it doesn't seem to and the colors don't seem like unreal um the way they do it, it it's not like cartoon colors um it's really like i don't know i can't explain it they just did a really good job if you've seen this movie you know if you haven't seen this movie i really suggest you go see this movie um yeah it's really probably i don't know it really blew me out of the water at first i was very hesitant because i liked seeing one um and of course when i watched that i was a lot younger so um it was a lot better it felt like because i was just younger but um even at the age i'm at now uh you know some people of course people are gonna say um they don't enjoy cartoons or whatever because for whatever reason they feel like that uh damages their their ego or their image but i don't give a fuck i don't care it i mean to me i mean if you enjoy a piece of content just enjoy a piece of content Every now and then, I like to listen to some Taylor Swift, and I'm proud of that fact. I'm proud of the fact that, like, you know, Taylor Swift is, you know, I, I like her. I also like Cardi B. I love to listen to Cardi B. So it just kind of brings up my fact that, um, you know, you really shouldn't care um, the kind of content you enjoy. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And if you're enjoying it, probably a lot of other kids... Um, the same age as you are enjoying it it's you know it's whatever you just kind of has nothing to do with age the movie was made by a bunch of adults um it's one of those things so it's uh you know i'm not ashamed of liking kid things but this was probably one of the best i've, I've kid things i've seen in a while you know it was really well done and of course one of the biggest things with the sing movies is that um the cast is incredible um, you know, you, you've, of course, you have Taron Edgerton, which is my obvious favorite. I could go on an entire episode about Taron Edgerton. Incredible. Incredible actor and incredible voice artist. Um, then you have Reese Witherspoon. I don't know a lot about her. I just know she's super famous. That's cool. Whatever. She seems to have a cool voice um, on Rosita the Pig. Um, and then you have um, Matthew McConaughey voicing buster moon i didn't really realize that until um this thing i hadn't really realized i'm not a huge uh, like matthew mcconaughey fan so i don't really know a lot about his movies or his voice so i didn't realize it um but yeah that's cool too we have matthew mcconaughey voicing buster and then um you know tori kelly voicing one i forgot i think that's mina yeah mina is being voiced by tori kelly um, I don't know a lot about Tori Kelly, but I also know she's very well known. And then, um, of course, you have Scarlett Johansson uh, voicing the porcupine, which she has a really cool voice um, and actually made for some pretty cool music in both movies. So, yeah, really amazing cast here um, because what this movie basically is, what both movies have been, are basically all it's all about the cast. Um, I. I they're, they're not these movies are just really cool like personal story movies 
where you are following the lives of these five people or these six people, I don't even know. But these people, and it kind of goes down each of these plots, and then you get to see the resolution at the end, and it's really satisfying and feels really great. I know Sing 1 felt amazing. Sing 2 really stepped it up a notch, and, um, you know, of course there are a little bit of confusing plot points that they had to kind of rush because you can't fit too much in a movie, but that's kind of expected with a kid animated film. They're not going to take too much time to try to work around that. But other than that, they had, it was, I don't know, it was very satisfying solutions and, and resolutions at the end of um, this movie. And I don't know if they set it up for a, a third movie because it kind of felt like, um, it kind of felt like the last movie, but I could have said the same for Sing 1. You know, you would never have guessed that there would be a second movie. Um, you know, I mean, you could have, but the story itself, um, was you know it felt like it had closed but i guess sing one made so much money that i mean they kind of had to make sing two and at first i was hesitant because i thought it was a cash grab like a lot of things these days um have been cash grabs so you know because i mean i i think that's that's a huge problem that's been going on now so i was really worried about sing two being kind of like tarnished in a way um you know, like, you know, it was just, just a big pull out a bunch more money, so, but thankfully it wasn't, they actually put time in and did, did a really great job, and really even, like, upgraded the story, it was really good, I was really impressed, I'm not gonna spoil too much for you, but I'm just gonna tell you, the production value on this movie is incredible, it's worth, worth going to see, and, um, you know, like last segment, I just talked about Uncut Gems, incredible movie also. Um, both of these movies are so different and they're literally, there's nothing, they're not the same, but I enjoy them both. So um, it just goes show like, I, I like anything and everything. Like it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter how different they are. Um, I, I like a lot of different things. So yeah, Uncut Gems and Sing 2 incredible movies uncut gems shocking plot twist um very stressful um like time-driven movie incredible incredible experience um yeah it was it felt like an experience not a movie um you know people will say they experienced a movie but only certain movies you can actually feel or experience something that's not just entertainment um that movie really was really good in a way that felt like an experience and then you have Sing 2, which is just a feel-good movie. It makes you feel good. The end makes you feel good. The, the colors are easy on the eyes, and it gives you a great vibe. And it's just a great watch when you're, I mean, if you're bored, if you want to get the whole family together, I don't know. But it's uh, it's worth your time if, if you like movies. Go Sing Sing 2 and go see Uncut Gems. Both relatively older movies because, um, you know, I didn't have a podcast back then. But I just saw them recently, so we're talking about them now. But yeah, I wish I would have seen Uncut Gems um, earlier and, you know, got in on that kind of uh, rush of things of people talking about it because everybody kind of forgot about it. But, um, you know, I haven't because I just saw it. It's very, very incredible movie. Um, I actually watched it on a plane, fun fact. And that goes to show how good the movie was. I watched this entire movie 
on two planes actually. I watched one half um, on on one plane, and then the other half on the other. I had to um, I had to like on a on a uh, air flight screen on one of those things. Uh, I I had to save my time and look at it and just kind of try to remember that I had to try to freaking use their shitty touch screens to get it back to that point. And then I had to watch the rest, but I had to watch the rest with something called, I think it's called AWS. And so anytime they do a basic action, it says, it's like, um, it's like, oh, he's opening the drawer, just kind of faint. Like you just kind of hear the background. But it just goes to show how incredible this movie was, because even through all that, like, just stuff, um, how chaotic everything was right in there, that movie really did hit me hard. It was, it was really great. I, I would have, I don't know how much better it would have been with, um, with a movie theater. That would have been incredible. But I almost think that movie during that time kind of fit the vibe, you know? I was stressed out. I was there was a lot of stuff going on. Two planes. I mean, we're we rolling over. We had 30 minutes to get on our other flight. I um, mean, my friends all had to pile onto that real quick, and um, you know, it was just very uh, um, one of those things. So, I'm um, sorry for the background noise. I have a uh, um, one of those aroma therapy things going. I think it just shut off, so um, we're good with that. But sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, probably. Um, probably saw it in the perfect area. It, it was it's super memorable because it was I was watching the movie sur- during a super memorable time. So um, yeah, Uncut Gems is always gonna have a special place in my heart. Um, and you know, it's just a good watch. Go see it. Don't watch it with little kids, um, of obviously, but or people that are just like you know um, overly religious or I don't know people that just can't handle shit. I guess. Um, but yeah, it's. Great, go see it. Sing to, go see it. Um, you know, I kind of spoiled Uncut Gems, but it's whatever. It's it really, I didn't do it any justice. You gotta see that movie for yourself. Sing to, I mean, great watch. Good, probably buy it on DVD. Just you know, um, so you can whenever you're bored, pop in a really cool, colorful, feel-good movie. You know, it's just just good entertainment. So yeah, kind of like uh, kind of like this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast um, today, consider following us on Spotify. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you liked it. Um, in fact, I hope you loved it. Um, I don't do a lot of mo- movie reviews, but what, am I, what else am I going to do today? Obviously nothing. So we're just going to talk about some cool movies. And we did. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you, uh, I hope you tune in next time. And until then, I'm going to tune out. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, goodbye.